One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. The champions of Europe might fail to make the World Cup, have the doors blown off Mancini's Italian job. Portugal are also struggling to qualify for Qatar next year. How can that be with a much better squad than what they had when they were European champions five years ago? Also, someone said this about Eden Hazard the other day. Today... He's a different player because he has a history of injuries now. The Eden who dribbled past five or six men, that's over. Are they right? So, as ever, we kick off by asking um, one of the pertinent questions, not of any of the people here, not of any of the pundits here in the room, but we had to ask our own Nikki Bandini what she makes of Italy's, uh, well, demise since winning the European Championships. Oh, what a disaster. Italy doing things the hard way again, going to a playoff once again to try to qualify for the World Cup. I think it's probably not worth dwelling too much on the 0-0 draw with Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland actually didn't concede a goal at home or through qualifying. I think the missed opportunities for Italy in qualifying absolutely with the two games against Switzerland, the head-to-heads, obviously, when you've got Jorginho having a penalty saved in the first one and then knocking a penalty over a bar in the second one. There's two opportunities there, really, to, to win the group that went begging. But I think perhaps even more than that, the biggest missed opportunity was the the home game against Bulgaria, first match after winning Euro 2020, when they gave up one shot on in the entire game, basically, and Ilyev scored it and had something like 26 shots in that game and could only score once. 
clearly there's an issue up front. Um, the goals have not been flowing at all since the Euros. And even indeed, you could argue uh, t- towards the latter parts of the Euros, there was some struggle for scoring goals. I-, I think the finger of blame sometimes gets pointed unfairly at Chiro Immobile, who actually, when he's been around, I think does really important work with the team. And actually the team, to me, struggles much more when he's not there. But clearly there's a lack of a, a really sort of reliable number nine for the national team and that's been a big problem the best team in europe should not be missing out on the world cup and it's it's going to be a very tense um few months building up to those playoff games in march so first up what do you make of this andy italy struggling after performing so amazingly at the euros just a few months back it's not the same italy that we are seeing against ireland uh, on the one hand and then against switzerland you see, I think it is. Um, I, I think Nicky's point about them falling short in the two games and missing the opportunities in the two games against Switzerland is absolutely right. Of course, the Jorginho penalty at the end and like his penalty yips, as we talked about in the ramble, it's interesting echoes of uh, Mario Balotelli. And after his particular technique failed the once, he really had to go back to the drawing board. And it... it, it it's a hard thing to do, I think. Get through that once you've had um, a, a special way that, that, that works for you. But they but, shouldn't have been relying on that penalty, no, should they? No, 100% they, sh- they shouldn't have been. And I, I, I do agree with Nicky that it's, it's not down to the Northern Ireland game. Um, you know, th- they had lots of other moments in qualifying. And the thing is, this qualifying campaign kind of straddles the Euros, doesn't it? Because it started before and it ended afterwards. But I just feel that France not getting to anywhere near their best in the Euros changed everything for for Euro 2020. It opened the field way up. If France play 80, 85% of their best, they win the Euros, I think. And that's, while still recognising great strides that Italy have made under Roberto Mancini and his leaning into the fact that Serie A has changed and leaning into the fact that it's a very attacking, very exciting league I think has been good for Italy it's been good for international football but I think when we talk about them as the best team in Europe I think really are they you know they're they're, they're the European champions but at no point really during the tournament in which they were excellent for most of it and they deserve to win the tournament but you're thinking I was thinking at least there are better teams than them in this and it didn't go right for them at key moments. And I, I just think because Italy are European champions, all of a sudden, it's a bit like their unbeaten run. There's this expectation that's not consistent with what they're actually producing. And they're still in progress. I mean, as Nicky says, they could really do with that centre forward. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, no, you make a good point about them. Are they really the best team? I think the unbeaten record, if you look at the previous teams who had unbeaten records, that Spain team that had it, um, were, they won World Cups, Euros, they were the best Spain team ever. Mm. And um, they didn't struggle to get into a tournament. Precisely. And Germany as well also had their own unbeaten record. And they were, again, they were fantastic at the time. They were on the cusp. Of, they were just w- operating just ruthlessly, I think. So you understood it. With this Italy team, I completely agree. It's there is, you know, it goes against them, that unbeaten record. And um, if you look at the Euros as well, I think they started off expansively, exciting. They captured everybody's imagination. I think you would have asked, you know, you know, most people, they would have said Italy's the most exciting team. They're the best team to watch. There's a lot of hunger about them, a lot of passion in the way that they play, and also they'd had the quality. 
Um, but then they got, I think, against England and against Spain as well, they were found out massively. I thought they were outplayed completely by Spain. Spain's finishing mm-hmm. let them down, ironically. <laughs> um, and that's what's happened with Italy here. Um, and against England as well, I think we all know what happened there in that England dominated them for quite a long part of the game and then they suddenly stepped back and Italy were even surprised about England letting them back into the game and they took advantage of that. Again, because of the quality that they had. So where they are now, it's not too surprising. And I think we also see a coach, uh, Mancini, resting on the laurels of that uh, Euros team, um, that unbeaten record, um, and not willing to change things up, not willing to implement uh, new players new, in, in the team to, to perhaps freshen things up and, and offer a different approach. Um, it's it's all well and good saying, um, you, you know, and don't get me wrong, credit to the teams who they faced, especially I thought in Northern Ireland were outstanding. But come on, if you are meant to be this good, then you should have an alternate plan um, to, to take down these teams, I think. With Switzerland, it looked as if Switzerland wanted that much more than Italy wanted it. You know, you saw a couple of times when the Swiss uh, attackers were just outrunning, uh, well, as they should do, the, uh, sorry, the Swiss, the Italian defenders, but the Italian defenders were out of position. So they're out of position, allowing the Swiss to come down on the left wing against them. And you thought, that's a, a, a sort of route one error for European champions there. I think it's, it's quite interesting, that idea of that Switzerland wanted it more in Rome because I think, and we'll, we'll come to Portugal in a, in, in a little while, but that sense of going into a game thinking not, we're going to win this and we're going to bend it to our will, but let's see how it goes. I mean, that's not how Italy got here, you know? And in the first part of that game in, in Rome, you felt that Switzerland thought, right, we have to win this. So let's get after it. Let's, let's win it. I mean, that Sylvan Vidmer goal, I mean, that, that was, that was the best goal that was scored in any of these, these qualifiers. Now I, I include Mbappe in Finland against uh, amongst that because it was it was it was terrific and it was just consistent with as you say the front footness with with which they played and even after they equalized in that game in Rome Italy didn't really create that much I mean we can talk about this the top elite level center forward not being there to put them away but you've got to create the chances yeah. as well and in that game against Switzerland in Rome they didn't create nearly enough did they no I don't think so anywhere near um I think you know Immobile is a player that we know has scored goals consistently for the past couple of years now with Lazio. So many. Yeah, I think he's very much in a team with Lazio who play towards him. The system is very much fine-tuned towards him. With Italy, I think it's different in the way Mancini operates is that he likes everybody else to to have a part in things. Um, I think the missed players, don't get me wrong, I think Spinozola, who was probably their best player in the Euros, yeah. he's, he's been a big absence. So there's absences you can you can say, oh, well, they've got that there. And there's other things you you can't explain. Um, I think uh, I'm a big fan of Gianluca Scamacca as well. I think he's somebody that could have offered different... And again, he isn't a top class world-beating number nine, but he's just different. He's well, not, a, not yet, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there, there's, there's presence there, isn't yeah, there that's is. what That's what you're looking there for. That's, there, there's a bit of authority there. And, and Immobile is clearly shot confidence-wise with Italy as well. He, um, you know, you look at the way he is and the fans have been getting on his back as well and you can clearly see it in the way he's playing. He, d- he doesn't look the confidence. If you're on number nine, you need to be absolutely ruthless with confidence, um, you know, to, to get the best out of your game. And I think there's other players as well. You've got Florenzi as well, still knocking about and it's just incredible, incredible that uh, players like him, to me, uh, are around this setup. You made the comparison earlier, David, uh, with uh, the 
the uh, golden generation, yeah. if you like, of Spanish football, where they were winning everything, European Championships and World Cups. And when you compare that uh, to the way that Italy, I can understand they were famous for not having a centre forward, mm-hmm. that team. Italy goes forward thinking, well, they didn't have a centre forward. We don't necessarily need a centre forward. What is the difference? Why were Spain able to succeed uh over a period of about 12 years yep. without a recognised centre forward, but Italy are stumbling at the first hurdle. I think Spain had one of the greatest collections of midfielders and creative midfielders that we've seen in international football. If you, look at the, if you look at the team that they would put out, their bench, their squad, the people they left at home were all players who would walk into most teams. So you got to look at players that they'd have. At times they'd have Cesc Fabregas, Andres Iniesta, David Silva on the pitch, and Santi Cazorla's on the bench twiddling his thumbs. And there's other players as well. Like I go on, and there was wingers as well. So they had a lot of parts like that. Whereas Italy, you can't say, oh, how many of those players are absolutely top, elite level, creative um, players? And like Andy said, they didn't actually create that lot against the Swiss. That's the thing, actually. Someone like Fabregas or Iniesta could always drop in to that position if you're playing without an orthodox centre forward we saw David Silva going there more recently actually we've seen Ferran Torres who, who I think it's slightly different because both Luis Enrique and Pep Guardiola recognise his attributes to actually be a striker rather than be a winger playing as a striker which is slightly different but going off course there I think none of those midfielders taken up from David's point none of those midfielders can really drop in and score goals like that which I think is maybe a, a bit of an issue. You're looking for someone to to drop in. I mean, it's, it's Federico Chiesa, isn't it? And already, I think they show signs of... It seems harsh to show say show signs of being reliant on him because if you've got a player of that level, sooner or later, his team is going to become, become reliant on him because mm-hmm. that is elite-level talent and that is what elite-level talent is, is about. But I think it's re- really interesting, this discussion over the last couple of months that maybe Chiesa is that player. Maybe Chiesa is that player to to take up the the central role and then roam out as if he wants. You know, so, say, say for example, we take, I don't know, someone from the past like Thierry Henry, for example. Someone who's nominally a centre forward. But if you see him pop up on the right, that's fine. If you see him pop up on the left, that's cool. And I, I feel that could be the way with Chiesa because he likes to play the game at his rhythm and he doesn't he like to be nailed to a spot sure. does he? he likes to be around the penalty area yeah, uh, uh, but not necessarily right on the penalty spot you know, no. he, he, he likes to be there or thereabouts Chiesa might solve a problem a huge problem going forward uh, to the World Cup now apart from uh, perhaps trying to uh, you know define that centre forward's position what else does Mancini need to uh, consider now because the prospect of Italy not making a World Cup that doesn't seem possible to me particularly as they're European mm. champions as well I mean you want to see them there don't you the they need is, to be there the thing is I, I'm not sure we can talk about Italy in in like the parameters of the medium term because as you say the World Cup it's only a year away I think because it's halfway through a season we can fool ourselves into thinking oh, well, you know, it's, it's a year and a half. It's, it's not, it's a year away. It's, it's happening a year from this month. So it's, it's, it's pretty soon. Um, medium term, they need to think about replacing the defence. That, that's that's an issue. And, you know, Bonucci's going to be there for a while yet, but Chiellini, I think we all have doubts about how far it can continue. And that's 
with no disrespect to everything he's done and everything he still is as as, as well. Um, but of course, they 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 had a Cherby playing in the in, in the game against Northern Ireland, and you know they are trying to move on from that. Uh, Romagnoli, of of, of course. Uh, I think still should emerge over the over over the medium term. So they've got a few things to to manage. But what I think is really interesting for these big teams in the playoffs is it's not long to the World Cup. But if you look at it from the other perspective, it's quite a long time to the playoffs. You've got something to think about if you're that national coach and really not that much time well, no time to get on the pitch with the players and, and, and do anything about it because like so much can happen between now and March and you know there's a there's a lot to think about and I think Mancini and Fernando Santos should be quite open about the fact that they are I think Donnarumma gave him a couple of things to think about between now and the World Cup <laughs> as well dear oh dear oh dear One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Italy are struggling to get to make the World Cup next year, but Portugal are as well. This doesn't make any sense to me. The idea that the Portugal team that we are seeing today is a better team than when they won the European Championships in 2016, five years ago now. Better team in terms of skills and everything, and yet they're struggling to make the World Cup against Serbia. You're right. I mean, we've got to be careful with the world word team, because are they a better team or are they just a better set of players? Which I think is is a difference, isn't it? And um, I think 
I want to hand over to David here, actually, because I know he's got some thoughts on Fernando Santos, the coach, who did win Euro 2016. But if you're going to ask why a better set of players is not an equal or better team, you do have to look at the coach, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's blessed with, what, two, you look at this squad, two, three generations of players now. And also, he's, I tell you what, Portugal in the 21s right now are playing excellently as well and very expressively. Talent's not the issue, is yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. So he can call on talent in probably every position. I was even looking at a the discussion, there was people saying um, Esri Concert from could even play for Portugal, apparently. Um, is that right? Apparently, uh, he's Angolan Portuguese. Heritage. That's good enough. <laughs> so that's an interesting one. So there you go. So he, this is somebody who hasn't even been considered for the setup mm. yet. And there's another option. But anyway... The players, what he has at his disposable, are incredible. The depth of talent, maybe some of the best in Europe, I'd say. Maybe maybe France are the only other nation, I'd say, with a better depth of talent mm. at their disposal. But it's how you use those players. It's how you progress. Now, we've just been talking about Italy. I think the situation that Portugal are in is far more urgent and concerning than Italy's. I think they've got a manager in Fernando Santos who's outstayed his welcome considerably. Um, I think we've got players as well in the team who have also outstayed their welcome. There's been a reluctance, I think. This is some, what happens with success sometimes. There's always a reluctance to move on for it. You think the the past ways are the best ways. And I think Portugal's in a in a cycle right now where Santos won't change. He's, he's stubborn, he's in his ways now, and that's how it's going to be. Um, and you can see he's really defensive in his press conferences as well, more than ever. Um, and he's made a point. He's always been like that in his, uh, his press conferences uh, stubborn guy but you, you look at what he's been saying he's insisted I don't believe my way of playing is outdated and more this is a real concern I would think if I'm a Portugal fan and I'm listening to him say the day we don't achieve our ob- objectives I'll leave so far we've always achieved our objectives <laughs> I mean, they, that, that suggests a certain modesty of objective now, doesn't it if, if you're the if you're the European champions and you go out in the first knockout round in the 2018 World Cup yeah for example. Out in the last 16, World Cup 2018. Out of the last 16, Euro 2020. Qualification for this World Cup, completely on a knife edge. We don't know how it's going to go. It's, for me, that you haven't achieved your objectives, no? No, and I think, it, he, he talked about this, he did a, a, a televised interview on um, Portuguese TV, um, obviously, on, um, on, on Wednesday, and... It, it was it was interesting the 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 way he said uh, you know um, Ronaldo's got confidence in me and I've got confidence in him and you know really closed ranks behind his way of doing things. He also said if we if we don't make it to the World Cup, I'll I'll leave and no one will need to ask me. I mean that should be unthinkable, you know that 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 shouldn't really need saying. I don't think. I mean I'm one of those who's a little easier on Fernando Santos because I do think. Even if he won Euro twenty sixteen playing a particular way, he is a European Championship um, winner, albeit with a strong assist from Ronaldo on the touchline at the Stade de France. <laughs> but I, I think he has done his best, and he's done better than I thought he would in twenty sixteen in integrating some of those new players. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think anyone feels ostracised, but the gap between the talent there is and the team they should be is too big. And I think he talked about it quite openly. He said, there's there's going to be a lot of things we're going to have to change before the playoffs. He also said, I think we have to examine the bits where it went really wrong. And he, he pinpointed the uh, Germany game in Munich 
where they were awful, by the way, the middle game um, of, of, of the groups at the um, at the Euros this summer. And, you know, that is them not even being able to adhere to his principles, yeah. which which is a huge issue. But he, he had a big part of that because, you know, he went into the Euros with, I, I said at the time, without really knowing who his best defensive midfielder was. And his remedy to having two out-of-form first-choice defensive midfielders um, in Danilo and William Cavalli was to play them both, which is no kind of solution. When the best option, Trapolina, was on the bench and he only realised that a, a little bit too late. And, you know, I think this can be a thing with international coaches in general. that, that they, they stick to the players they trust and, you know, form seems to sort of pass them by a little bit sometimes. But the, the the minute that I was, the moment when I was out on Fernando Santos is this last international break because they we can talk about the Serbia game and the fact that they scored and then basically stayed in their 30 metres of the pitch and said, right, well, it's fine. We'll just hang on to the result. And it almost works, but, you know, it, they didn't deserve to. Serbia were deserved winners. It was the game before that that set the tone, I think, in Dublin against Republic of Ireland because they have various players, including uh, Ruben Dias, at risk of suspension. They leave them all out. And, of course, Pepe, arguably their best centre-half, apart from Ruben Dias, gets sent off and can't play in the Serbia game. <laughs> but... I think the message that that sends and the way they played in Dublin was awful. And the message that that sent uh, uh, and Fernando Santos himself said afterwards, well, it didn't matter whether we drew or whether we won 5-0. Uh, what sort of message is that to pass on when you're representing your yeah. country? Oh, that country? I think it's awful. I think I think you're right about the players and they're still with him clearly in, in terms of, because of what he's achieved and what he's done in the past. I think so, absolutely. But that doesn't mean to say, I, I think they're bored of him. I think they're mm. bored of that style as well. I think there's a lot of players really wanting to come out of their shells and they can't do that with him. Um, I think this isn't a humble meddling nation, but I think they play like one. Mm. And I don't understand that mentality. It's quite interesting that some of the players are speaking up against that though. Like um, Bernardo Silva afterwards, after the Serbia game said, that was unacceptable. Mm. We weren't even better than them for 10 minutes. I want to apologise to all Portuguese people. Mm. To, to have a player like that and, you know, he's... Of course, he's a senior player to a degree, but he's not mm. uh, Ronaldo or Rui Patricio or mm -hmm. Jose Font or João Moutinho. And for him to come out and say, look, come on, let's take yeah. some responsibility. It should be the manager saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Not him. I think it, It's funny. I was having a very similar discussion with somebody about uh, the situation Uruguay's in with Oscar Tabares. Yeah. Which is a very similar situation, I feel. The mm. players are still outspoken and with him. But evidently on the pitch, you can clearly see they are completely bored of that system. That It's gone very, very stale and a change is necessary. And Tabata's like Santos is, you're not just really, really digging in. Um, it's a long time to be a coach for a national team as well. For seven years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a long time to be a coach of any team. And eventually, you're right, players, I think, get used to the voice. And even if they respect you, they kind of stop listening. I, th I think it's time for AVB. AVP, yeah. Yes. Now we're talking. Just mix it up. Well, it's, it's it's funny actually. People people have been asking, haven't they, about possibilities of of who might be the next cab off the rank? Just on that point, Andy, we've had a a tweet from Aaron McGrath, who says if Fernando Santos was to leave Portugal after this campaign, who would be the best or the most realistic replacement? What, what do you reckon? Well, the, the, 
there should be loads of Portuguese candidates because it is a prolific producer of top coaches. Uh, actually, another tweeter, Monk, said, what, what about Jorge Jesus? Why has he not been mentioned with it? Well, there's a simple answer to that. He earns four times as much as Fernando Santos and they won't be able to afford him. And that is kind of the blessing and the curse of the amount of coaches that Portugal produces of a very high um, intellectual and operational standard. The fact is, most of them have good club jobs. Are they going to step into a, a much higher pressure job where they get paid a fraction of, of, of what they do at a club? I think the answer to that is probably no. I think AVB is a really interesting one, actually, because obviously he divides opinion everywhere. Seems to. But yeah. he's someone who, and like from his Instagram, he looks like he's having a lovely time with his family. And he's in no massive rush to come back. But um, he's someone who uh, money is not his motivator. Well, because mm. he comes from a, like quite a well-off background. Um, and as well, I think it would be an interesting transition step from him because he's gone from coach to go from club coach to national coach, his end point, we know where it is, is president of Porto after Jorge Nuno Pinto de Costa. Oh. He will take over from him at some point. And I wonder whether this would be an interesting little midpoint. And, you know, if we go back to the start of when he was Porto coach, when he came from Academica, where he did a great job, um, they played such dynamic football in this season. And they've got a lot of players who replicate the characteristics of that 2010-11 Porto team, don't they? I think so. I think it's really, I think it's set up perfectly for him. And also you mentioned about him potentially being a future part or president. What better, you know, way to go into that job than be the man who went into Portugal, binned Ronaldo. Um, you know, that, that, that'll play into the hearts of Porto fans. I mean, there you go. And, as well as breathe life back into the Portuguese national Yeah, team. that got you back for that goal for Manchester United at Dragao. Of course, there's one or two other Portuguese, well, several of them, three at least, have uh, graced uh, the London Postal District of N17 uh, over the last uh, few years, but one All of right, them get, put your Nuno is... flag away. <laughs> you saw where I was going. Uh, yeah, you saw it about 100 miles before I got there. Uh, but yeah, there, there are others who have had their P45s uh, recently, and there might be a shout or two for them as well, I would have thought. And not to talk of one who got his P45, then got a job in Rome of all places. You know, apparently, you know, there is a seat warm for him or being kept warm for him at some point in the future. Portugal Portugal why not that's an interesting one isn't it well firstly he needs Roma to work secondly again the financial thing is is, is an issue I mean you're talking about him taking an even bigger pay cut he's got to at some point point. yeah he is and I'm sure he will exhaust every possibility of top level club football before he, he gets to that point I mean he has talked about it in the past Mourinho hasn't he but he's talked about it when it was a distant prospect whereas now it's a little bit closer chronology wise I wonder how he does feel about it yeah it'll be an interesting one I mean how how could you see how what difference did he make to a Portugal team AVB I get I see that that's part of a trajectory but I imagine if somebody uh, the special one came in particularly to run that nation's team it would be very very different yeah I think it'd be I think don't get me wrong I think he'd make a considerable impact and I think it's something he probably should have thought about before now 
Mm. I don't think it's going to work out at Roma. I'd be I'd be stunned if it worked out at Roma with him. So, so in that case, I guess my question would be: What makes you think it would work for Portugal? Because what mm. I think is interesting: if you go on any Portuguese sports newspapers website, you've got the quick links at the top: Cristiano Ronaldo, Jose Mourinho. Still quick links because they're. Portuguese football royalty. Now the rest of the world has started to feel very differently about Mourinho, haven't they? I mean, I think most English football fans and media are out on him now. They they believe his best has gone. What would he achieve apart from trashing his legacy in the one place where it's sacrosanct by going back to to manage a national team? Because oh. the, the pressure on coaching the national team is... Is immense. There's there's a deal of expectancy, for, especially for a, a country with what ten million people in it, less than ten million people in it. Yeah, yeah. But is it arguable as well that some people are now out on Ronaldo as well, in terms of what he offers aside and what he potentially holds back them from as well? Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's not in Portugal though. You're talking about outside Portugal, aren't you? Oh, but it's it's, it's funny in actually. Portugal as well. It's funny you should say that. I th- I think in the last year or so, people have started to think beyond. Cristiano, like Portuguese fans yeah. have started to think beyond Cristiano, They've which is to. yeah, but it's 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 massive because you know everything he's achieved there and the pride they have in him, and now there's actual discussion in Portugal of would the national team be better off without him, I think, which would have been heresy even a year ago. I think it has to be looked at. Spain had a similar de- decision many many years ago with Raúl and Luis Aragonés took it, and he took a lot of pelters in the Spanish press for a long long time mm. as well. And that was, I'd probably say it was the most defining decision in in Spanish football history, I'd say. And would, it, would, it, would it have been the same thing for Luis Enrique with Sergio Ramos had it not been for the injury? I'd say that... Or I suppose he's only made that decision because of the injury, you would argue. I'd say that Ramos was less of a golden boy at the mm. time. So there was a lot more understanding, I think, from... A big part of Spain. You got to remember Raúl's status um, at the time. You know he he was seen as very much as the golden boy. He mm. didn't do anything wrong. You know, and as much as I love Sergio's Ramos, uh, Sergio Ramos's antics on the pitch and what have you, it does put him in in, in bad light with a lot of people. Whereas mm. Raúl never did anything like that. Um, the only thing people had against him was he was at Real Madrid, but they still loved him. <laughs> so it would be a similarly big decision, I think, for for them to make it. I mean, personally, I think they need to move on. Portugal, there is without both Mourinho and Ronaldo. Um, and they need to go with AVB and integrating all this brilliant, brilliant youth that they have, uh, harnessing Joel Felix's abilities, getting the best out of him. And there's plenty of other players as well there who, they, who they've got coming through. Um, so that's the way I would go. But to answer your question, Andy, sorry, I think Mourinho is a man, you know, I don't think he's got the energy and the spark that he used to have. I think it's very initial. It's in short bursts. And that's why I maybe think it might work with a, a two-week international break ever here and, that, here and now. Just a, a couple of years back, let's say three years back, we were still talking about Eden Hazard as being one of the best footballers in the world. What's happened to him? For goodness sake. I mean, what we're hearing is, uh, and this is from Christian Benteke, of all people, of Crystal Palace, is that he ain't ever going to be the Eden Hazard who used to dribble past five or six players when he played for Chelsea. It's, it's funny. I think if a coach says that, if Roberto Martinez says that, it doesn't sound great. 
although you could be argue, arguing that he's trying to take some of the pressure off him. If your teammates are saying that about someone who's always been the golden boy, the thing that did it for me this week is seeing Belgium play in Wales and Torgan wearing the number 10. Torgan Hazard wearing the number 10. Well, he scored a brilliant goal, don't forget, in the Euros, didn't he? He's probably the best goal of the Euros. He's, a, he's a fantastic player. Yeah. And it's awful to have to judge him by his older brother. I don't think that's fair and I don't think that's reasonable. But I, I did feel a little bit of sadness over it. The fact that, yeah, he is the best Hazard now. I mean, you know, not always an automatic pick for Borussia Dortmund, although he's a very good player for them. And and that's where we are now, that I, I think anything we get from Eden is like a, is, is a bonus. I, I mean, it, it, it was interesting hearing um, Martinez talk about him not having the confidence to to go past players anymore and protecting himself from challenges. And that's changed the, the way he's played. Because, because you're right. He's, it's, it's human nature, isn't yeah, it? Of course. But, but having seen him at his best, and not only at his best, he's one of the most dynamic, exciting, decisive players of, of European or world football in, in recent years. I, I go back to the beginning and remember he made his debut for Lille when he was like 16 and just 16 as well. And um, I remember when he was still a teenager uh, Lil playing um, Nancy, and they had a defender called uh, Andre Luiz, who was um, a Brazilian defender. And uh, they said to him afterwards, "You were having words with uh, Eden Hazard. What what happened?" And he said, oh, "Well, I was I was really annoyed with him because <laughs> he dribbled past me. Yeah, in his pocket. <laughs> then, then he stopped, waited for me to catch <laughs> up, and dribbled round me again, just because he could." <laughs> and I love that I love that about him it's, it's just brilliant but to have that sort of talent to do those sort of things on the pitch and yet be decisive in the big games and go and win trophies for clubs I mean that's that, that's pretty special to be able to put all that together Several seasons at Chelsea was probably the MVP then. No, but sorry to cut you, David arguably the person who won Chelsea two of their uh Premier League championships as well. He was a magical player, like Andy says. I just wonder, and please respond to what Andy's been saying. I do wonder if, on reflection now, we have to say it was a mistake him going to Real Madrid. Not because of, you know, the great player that was at Chelsea, but because his injury, his injury record since going to Real Madrid does beg the question as to, how they're training him so, uh, and what position he's playing in at Real Madrid, who, doesn't it? Who are we saying the mistakes from? Are we saying it's Hazard's mistake or no, to go there no, or Real Madrid's it, mistake to buy him? No, not at all. I, I, either one, it was a mistake him going to Real Madrid, particularly because he's not playing in exactly the same position he was playing in in Chelsea. They're not training in exactly the same way and it didn't work for him. No, absolutely not. It hasn't worked out. It's been a disaster of a move. But I think everyone's probably got a... I think it's all... We always try to look for one particular reason just to, you know, why something has happened or why it's gone wrong or why it's gone right. Sometimes there's a lot of intangibles here. I think he made a bad decision to move there. I understand I understand why he decided to move you there. You have to. Yeah, yeah. When Roman Madrid knocks, don't you? Of course you do. Of course you do. So I understand why he did that. Um, you know, he left that year... Chelsea it was 52 appearances 21 goals 17 assists so 38 direct goal involvements Europa League winner Europa League player of the year 
and PFA Fans Player of the Year as well. Mm. Now that's where he left on. So he probably's looked at that and gone, okay, I think I've probably done. So I understand why he left. However, I think he's got there. I think the injuries have impacted um, his confidence, um, his momentum. There's been there's been not there hasn't been a single time when he's built up any consistency at Real Madrid. Everything has been stop start. I don't think any player could deal with that. I don't think Lionel Messi could deal with that. You know, if he had he's had such an incredible amount of inconsistency there in terms of that how often he gets in the team, um, in terms of how often he even gets on the training field. And it's been very, very difficult for him to, you know, to recapture what he had at Chelsea. When I think arguably, well, I think when he left Chelsea that year, he was for me top three players in the world. Would you, would you say Real Madrid, David, is maybe the worst place to recover from that? Because he's starting to get what Bale got, that sense of, well, you're, you're not fit, sort it out. Mm-hmm. Not there is sympathy for, for, for you because your body's letting mm-hmm. you down. There's, there's more of a sense of you're costing this club a lot of money get your shit together when I mean, it's, it's, it's not that simple is it I wonder if it's hard as well to motivate yourself because you probably feel you've arrived at Real Madrid you've got your 100 million pound move I've made it I've done it I've completed it mm. I wonder how much it takes to keep motivating yourself I'm not, I'm not an elite sportsman so I don't know I wonder how much it takes to com- you know to completely motivate yourself over and over and over and over again maybe they just didn't, maybe something just clicked in their head and they weren't really about that well that's always been a question with Eden Hazard hasn't it he's he's someone who he's talked about it quite openly you know I'm I'm never going to be Ronaldo level because I'm not prepared to make those sacrifices he likes spending time with his family he likes going on holiday and eating a little bit too much and maybe maybe coming back a a little bit over when he started at Real Madrid yeah Yeah. and that's Uh, fair enough that's in a few weeks it's not fair enough is it for an elite sports person in a few weeks well I guess guess the question is 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 it fair enough on a human level yes I think it is if you're committing to Real Madrid you're committing to something else aren't you you're committing to a level of unreasonableness and Cristiano Ronaldo is a great example of that because the the way he trains is obsessive. It's beyond professional. Yeah, exactly. Beyond professional. That's exactly. So it. most clubs, most clubs, you can walk into, be professional, be extremely successful. I don't think that's enough at Real Madrid. There's such a Andy makes a great point. There's just such a different level of expectation and and the demands there as well. You, you know, what? I think you have to be a lot, lot more. I think the same goes for Manchester United as well. I think that's why they fell off since Sir Alex Ferguson. I think he he wanted a lot, lot more than being a professional. And I think we've seen that with Hazard going to Real Madrid. I, I think I don't think he's, and that's why so many players flop at Real Madrid as well. You look at there's a lot of big players gone there, a lot of talented youngsters as well, and they don't realise. They just think, oh, I can carry on being professional and using my talent there. That will be enough. No, but, ha- but I, I think part of the problem is as well. You buy a player for eighty whatever million it was at the end of it. Buy a player for that kind of money, and then you want to sort of adapt him a bit to fit in. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're an elite sports person, you know, if you speak to Usain Bolt, everything has to be the way he trains. Yeah. Otherwise, he gets injuries. Yeah. You know, if the Jamaican team are pulling one of those lawnmowers on their backs as they're running 100 metres, that's the way he trains. Mm-hmm. Don't suddenly get him to pull a car because you're gonna he's going to injure himself. And this is what happened when Eden Hazard went to uh, Real Madrid, slightly played out of position from where he was, I suppose, in Chelsea. He was part of the attacking, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was basically a striker, but a striker that had a number 10's role as well. Wasn't I, th- he? I think, I think that's, that's the, that's the question really. The, 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 the question of a, does he get that sort of Liberty and B are Real Madrid a coherent enough team at the moment he arrives 
to help him settle because I think that that's the difficulty. You were talking about, you know, that feeling, David, of, you know, does does he feel he's made it because he's at Real Madrid? Mm. I think, is there that sense of, I can win everything with this team? It's almost as if he's taken the move just because it's Real Madrid rather than this is the right move for me at this particular moment. And of course, like being a football player, it's, it's all about choices, isn't it? And it's all about making the right move at the right moment. But you sign up for something where Real Madrid's the name above the door, but you end up playing behind closed doors at Valdebebas for a lot of it. And, you know, you, you, you end up playing for a team that is really not good enough to win the Champions League, despite the fact that it got into the semi-final and, you know, a huge amount of credit mm. to Zindin Zidane for, 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 for that. But, you know, there's not this feeling of, you know, if you're someone who dreams of playing for Real Madrid, you dream of playing next to... Ronaldo, Cristiano or Brazilian, you, you dream of playing with Figo, you dream of playing with Zidane, you dream of playing with Prime Marcelo or Roberto Carlos or Sergio Ramos. But the feeling is it's getting all a bit old and creaky yeah. and, and, and and falling yeah. apart. There's no aura there. I think, you know, you look at when Hazard arrived, I think, and then since Hazard's arrived, I think it's the same two players in Modric and Benzema who's been carrying the club. Mm. So he probably yeah. turned up there expecting the team, the, the, the glory, but it wasn't there. He got there and he was like, geez, Karen, Karen Benzema is holding this whole thing together. <laughs> they're, they're like the Australian cricket team in 2005. <laughs> yeah. But basically, that's, that's where they're... I guess the question is, if you're Hazard, where do you go next oh. to get the most out of the rest of your career? This is the real question. You're absolutely right because there are all sorts of speculation. He's 30 years old. He's only had, what, 25 starts out of 88 yeah. at Real Madrid. Yeah. Five goals only scored there. January transfer window coming up in a minute or two. And as always, as always, anybody that's available that's uh, worth their salt is going to be um, linked with Newcastle. But <laughs> the front runners we've got, we've got a spare room Eden that's the, all I'm saying the front runners in the race to get Eden Hazard if he's leaving in January are guess what blue is the colour football is the game how does that work I don't know how does that work because like, like for, for example I think we should like totally cut off the idea of him going anywhere in January from a common sense perspective he needs to get his body in Nick and if that means not playing all of the rest of the season at Real Madrid maybe he's capable of it and it can still work I I doubt that is the case there doesn't seem to be that confidence you generally don't think he'd be better off going back to Chelsea where they know exactly how to handle this player but does, does, does this generation of Chelsea know best how to handle him and does he fit into this current team? Does he make this team better? If, In current, Nick, no way. They've moved on. Yeah. They've moved on from him. And the nostalgia of this is wonderful in what Hazard was for Chelsea. But, you know, I think if you spoke... No, it just doesn't it looks work. like it's hurting you, David. Yeah, because I'm not a nostalgia grabber. I, I, didn't, I didn't like when Cristiano Ronaldo went back to Man United. I thought, this is strange. I think I don't, I don't think this is the right place for uh, for Ayrton. This is just, it's just a nostalgia grab to try and bring back the past and evoke amazing memories. No, it doesn't work. I think Chelsea have moved on and they shouldn't even consider it. Um, I think Andy makes a great point. You know, even if I, if I was him, I'd pack up my stuff. I'd go back to Lille. I'd train there get in the best shape I could and then re- readdress everything in the summer. And then go up to St. James's yeah, Park. Yeah. I'm not even saying play for Lille either. Just train with them. Train hard there. Get yourself in good shape. Get back to that sort of lifestyle. 
and then address everything in the summer. Do you remember you can tweet us at any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at David Jacka, J A C A. At this tweet has come for you both from James with Kike Sanchez Flores now in charge. Do Getafe have any chance of survival? I saw this and I felt like replying to the, the person who tweeted it and just saying no. <laughs> but, but no, I'm going to elaborate a little bit more. I said this at the start of the season once I watched all of um, Getafe's uh, transfer activity. They were like a newly promoted team scrambling around just for any player that was about, not looking at quality, just for pure numbers, scrambling about, just wanting to get anybody in. And I, as soon as I saw that, alarm bells went off for me and I thought they'd get relegated then. Um, and then when they brought Michelle in as coach, it was an absolute disaster of a coach who should not be employed by any team in Spain ever again. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was it for them completely. That was just a, another nail in the coffin. So Great yeah. nickname at Marseille though, because he always used to turn up so impeccably dressed. The players used to call him Fashion Week. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's, 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 he's lovely to look at. Yeah, but no the actual, about it. Yeah. But the actual execution of Michelle the coach is not pretty. Mm. So no, yeah. they're going down. Okay. I, I, guess, I guess the difficult thing for Hetafe is when you come out of... I don't know the best way to put it. Like the reign of uh, Jose Bordelas is is something very particular. It's a very particular style of football. And to move on from that, I mean, it must feel a, a little bit of a loosening in terms of discipline. Oh, I think so. I think that, that that was it. That was that era over. And it was a case of how best do you carry on from there? I mean, it wasn't working great for him in the back end of last yeah, season. It was, was it? Yeah, it was kind of falling right. off. I think the players were kind of, he, he's such an exhaustive coach, boy. Yeah. I, I I love him. I really, really do. And I love that Atafe side. I, nothing but fond memories of <laughs> how they played, how they annoyed everybody. It was just wonderful. Yeah, you put them on a few too many game of the weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I think so. We'll, we'll always have that Ajax game where <laughs> I've never seen another team so visibly distraught by what another I, team I, was I, doing. I can't work out how they scored twice in, in, in that game at the Coliseum when it didn't seem like the ball was in play at all. No, it, was, it was quite there was an incredible I can't remember off the top of my head right now but there was an incredible start in terms of how long the ball was out of, there, out of play so but yes yes, it's very very hard to recover because oh, what he did at Atafia and how he dragged them up from this unknown forgettable team they were a joke in Spain and Bordelas made them very very serious to the point where no one wanted to play them home or away it was, you'd look at the fixtures and you see you're playing Bordelas as Atafia you, you winced <laughs> You wanted to just get through that game unscathed. And I mean, literally unscathed. <laughs> That's a great club to play for, I'm sure. Uh, this other tweet from, I think it's IP, but it could be IP. Apologies if it is. Uh, why doesn't Gareth Southgate call up Ficayo Tomori since he's a regular for Milan? How's he doing over there? He'll get there. Um, there's no doubt that Tomori will become part of the a regular part of maybe even the England 11 sooner rather than later I think the thing with Tamori is when he got the move to to Milan and Milan were having a good season there was a sense of kind of the opposite of out of sight out of mind that people thought well he's ready if he's playing for Milan and they're, they're winning he should be in the England team I thought he was a little bit short, particularly in the back end of last season where you had a young team of which he's very much one of the leaders struggling to stay up in the Champions League places after they fell off the top. 
in the running, I, I, I don't think he was his best. This season, he's been magnificent. In sometimes quite difficult situations, I, th- I think of the the game at Anfield um, in the Champions League where they got absolutely steamrolled for most of the first half and still ended up winning 2-1 at half-time before Liverpool came back. Mm. And what I think is interesting about Tomori, though, is he's quite a very... He's, 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 he's a player that you would look at and think he's very old school Serie A. He's a very combative sort of defender. I think we think defending's different nowadays, and to a large extent it is, because, um, um, you know, when we say, are there any great centre-backs out there? Well, there are, but they're just different to the great centre-backs of, of yesteryear. It's not about making loads of lunging tackles. It's about staying on your feet. It's about defending via ball circulation. And I think we look pace, at... Pace has increased as well. Yeah. Although, you know, I, I guess Harry Maguire is the the, the, the exception... It's always one. To, ...to that, but very, very good on the ball, nevertheless. But I think we think John Stones is more the end of the market we're, we're looking at. I think you need alternatives. And what I like about Tomori, he loves the nuts and bolts of defending. He loves making blocks. He loves... I love that. D- diving in. He loves tackles yeah. as well, doesn't yeah. he? Tackling he's, people. He's a very... Yeah. He's... With the, in the nicest possible way, he's a defender who looks like a prince in Serie A who you can also imagine playing five-a-side with and him being the most important player in your five-a-side team. That's the biggest compliment I, I can pay him. For that reason, when England fans see him more, they will love him. I think um, as an alternative to what there is already, I, I don't really see that many centre-backs of that sort of nature in the England squad. And for me, he's a must. I think he'd be a very, very good partner to to John Stones. I'm interested to see how it all pans out, but he's going to end up with a shitload of England caps. There's no doubt about it. I think we're hungry for a game of the week from each of you. You see what I did, did there? Say Andy? hungry? Yeah, I did say hungry. <laughs> I love it when David's here because I know that we're going to enjoy ourselves. We shall eat well tonight. But what's the game of the week you'd recommend? Uh, for me, I'm going to go for Saturday tea time. Okay. I'm going to go for the the Berlin derby between Hertha and Union. It's fantastic. Uh, it, it's such a great addition to the, the German top flight, having uh, the two biggest teams in Berlin of very differing sizes, of course, in there. I went to the first top flight uh, Berlin derby, which was quite the occasion at Union. And um, yeah, lot of pyro, very exciting. Um, and just it, it's it's just it, it will be pretty special even if on the pitch um Herta are a bit of a work in progress to say the least Union got to Europe this season which is amazing for them they've come such a long way in such a a short time and they're bloody awful to play against they're not quite Hitafe but they're 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 an irritant. Yeah, of course. Let, let, let's, yeah. let, let's, let's put it that <laughs> like way. One of those flies that keep buzzing you at night time. Yeah, yeah. And they could, they, they could be that for Hertha, yeah. who tend to take, you know, two steps forward and four back at, at, at the moment. So I would say uh, the accompaniment to this would have to sausages. be... Sausages. Uh, yeah, it'd have to be great grilled sausages. Like, like, you know, butcher's jobs. I yeah. mean, there, there was uh, in South London where actually a place I know you know well Lewisham they uh, there used to be a German produce stall in Lewisham Market yeah. where you could get those 
huge like bockwursts and they, they'd also sell you um, massive tins of, of sauerkraut I think if you can make your own sauerkraut great I appreciate it's time consuming so um, if, if you get a good one out of a tin um, I understand so he's given us a great meal to go with the match uh, I reckon the match is going to be nice uh, you've got Hitafe on your mind as he describes that one <laughs> but uh, so what would your game of the week be this time yeah I'm not going to recommend anyone watches that load of rubbish this season <laughs> yeah so there's only one game I think I could have picked Saturday 8pm the return of the king Ooh. Xavi Ooh. is back his first game on the bench of wow. Barcelona and it's against none other than Espanyol the Catalan rivals. Very good. Very so it's going good. to be tasty. Yeah. Uh, camp now. So there's going to be a bit of a procession there because the king has returned, of, of course. course. So it'll be interesting to see how he sets things up and how they approach that game, how he deals with... Uh, it's it's a massive, massive game for him to come back to. Um, and There's little margin for error, is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It, it, all eyes are going to be on him, yeah. It's, uh, it's good. And, but he's he's got a big problem. He's, he's up against the notorious RDT. Raul de Tomas. Oh, I like it. I love the way he said notorious because mm. I was thinking in Slick Rick when he said the, the king is back. Because <laughs> remember, Slick Rick did that Adventures of Rick. Yes. The king is back. Slick Rick is back. But then he said notorious. And I was like, unbelievable. <laughs> That's why I love it when they call him Big Papa. <laughs> so, yes, n- notorious. Um, yes, yeah, so RDT is the, could be a bit of a problem. Seven goals this season of. Espanyol's 14 he's on a little bit of a, a bounce because he's been with the Spain squad as well so he's, he's feeling good and I think you know if, God, if, if imagine this for Espanyol fans if they could beat and spoil the Xavi return party I mean would it would it be Raul Tamudo's what was it what was it called the fuck of oh, the century oh yeah that tomato yeah uh, oh my word yes. no need for that kind no. of language <laughs> we've not even found out what he's eating yet I'm just impatient just yeah, no yeah. need for that kind of language yeah. we're about to eat yeah. for goodness sake I thought with the king coming home the king of sandwiches is apt the club sandwich Ooh. okay much better than the, the, the inferior BLT is not, there not, is there a Spanish twist to it though no, is that, is that nothing that we can show <laughs> no? no, just a club sandwich, yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Well. yeah. So uh, what I really want to know, though, is, of course, Danny Alves won't be qualified to play until January, so he'll be in the stands, but he won't be there. Mm. His presentation, where he's looking, this week, where he's looking magnificent mm. in his suit, he is wearing flip-flops, have I honest, obviously. Of course. And, um, and no socks. And the way he runs up the tunnel leaves the flip-flops on the touchline <laughs> and then walks onto the pitch in suit barefoot oh, to wow. applaud the fans. Oh, wow. And do you want to know the best thing about that is? He did exactly the same when he was presented as a Barcelona player signing from Sevilla. He wore flip-flops then as well. No way! Yep, that's why he did it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. See, it will make sense in the end. This was a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.